the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. In a few moments, we'll catch up with John Schlafly and get an update, his weekly Schlafly Report. Uh, Find out what he's talking about this week. And also, uh, we will have a chance uh, to uh, see what he thinks about the State of the Union uh, speech, which is always interesting. John uh, Schlappley's always got a good perspective. We'll also visit this week with uh, my old friend John Zadrozny. John Zadrozny is over at America First Legal. He's a lawyer, uh, but his 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 um, forte is digging into investigations. That's the role, digging deep into stuff. And he's got a couple uh, of, uh, of of um, investigations going uh, that he's going to fill us in on. Um, he's a very good guy and a very interesting guy uh, because of his sort of um, some people are really um, good at, you know, uh, the, the deep dive, as they say. He's one of them. And so um, he's uh, he'll he'll give us a perspective on some of the border issues, some of the money, follow the money on the border issues and, and a lot more. All right. Uh, but first, what you need to know today's wink, what you need to know about the State of the Union speech, um, watching the State of the Union speech. And I watched it now. I went back to watch. I didn't watch it live. Uh, I read about it. I saw clips. And here's the thing. Joe Biden has a problem. He may not realize he's got a problem, but he's got a problem. And the problem is that he believes that being angry, being angry and scaring people will get him reelected. And he, that was, you know, let's, let's pause and say what I told you a couple of days ago. Um, the state of the union was in fact, uh, the reelection kickoff, um, 2024 will include Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the ticket. Um, they will run for president. The only thing that gets in the way of that is some unforeseen health issue, in my opinion. Otherwise, um, you know, everything else is uh, cleared out. Um, there's not an argument. If you watch the Democrats, uh, both in the in the chamber, uh, watching Biden speak and then afterwards in coverage, they're effusive in their praise of Joe Biden. They say it's great. So, I mean, he's not, he is running and he's running. And that was I was a kickoff. So now you say, what's his reason? And what he's hoping is the economy is going to be good enough. It's going to have improved in ways that he can talk about. Um, that's, I think that's one thing. And I think he's got going to have some details he can hang his hat on. I'm not sure it'll be sufficient when unemployment numbers are good, like they've been. Um, that's one thing. But when inflation's so high, that's another. Uh, wages are stagnant. That's another. And so I don't think Biden's going to have that argument, but the broader context of this is People want to elect someone who fits their mood. And Biden comes across as angry in an arrogant way. I don't know him. I've never met. I guess maybe I met him once. Can't remember if I was met him, met him, or if I was just in the room with him. I've been in Judiciary Committee meetings. I think he must have been there. But but he comes across as a guy who's angry and arrogant. He knows better than you and me. And he's angry that we're not just letting him take care of everything. So now that's not totally uncommon in people in power. 
In other words, if you're in power, you start to think, how can people doubt me? I'm in power. You know, I'm the president of the United States. It's kind of a common thing. Both parties has to do with power. But most politicians fake it. They fake a sort of humility. And Joe Biden doesn't have that. And in a certain sense, you can't blame him because even when he's failed, he succeeded. Even when he washed out for two races for president, he still was reelected for Senate. And in one case, he was then made VP candidate and won. And even when he didn't run for president in 2016, and most people said his career is over, it's going to be Hillary Clinton, who's the next president, he, he still fell forward and ended up as president. So my point is, his, his when you say to him, oh, be, be more humble, you shouldn't run or you should be more. He's like, look, I, I keep doing this and I keep succeeding. What are you talking about? That's kind of how I think he thinks. So when he, he's yelling, as someone said, he was yelling during the uh, State of the Union that did in, in ways that seemed angry that didn't match what he was talking about. And he was kind of cantankerous with the Republicans and kind of this and kind of he he's kind of a- angry and uh, arrogant. And he thinks being angry fits the mood he also thinks that he can scare everybody with the same language of democracy is on the ballot and uh, be afraid of what uh, is is happening and all that. I I'm not, I think he's got a problem. And here's the contrast. He's clearly running against Donald Trump. And Trump is, wait for it, I know you're going to think it's a little crazy, but you have to follow me. He's kind of humble and hungry, meaning he lost. He's out of office. And he's trying to get back in office. So he's kind of hungry. He's hustling. He released a two-minute State of the Union speech at the end of Biden's uh, State of the Union. He's kind of hungry to, tr- to to get back, of course, but also to get engaged, get people to listen to him. He's hungry, and he comes across as more humble, more frustrated with where the country's going and wanting it to be better. It fits the mood better, I think. I think. Now, we'll see. Once it's head-to-head and you're talking about, you know, a year and a half from now, it changes everything. And a lot of things will change in between. But you don't get to be – in politics, being angry is always a sort of knife's edge. And and Trump kind of did it in 2016. He didn't – as president, sitting president, it's hard to be as angry. You're the guy in charge in 2020. But in this case, he's kind of got this frustrated with the direction, wants to make America great again – It kind of works. And I will tell you that when Joe Biden in his State of the Union speech completely lied about Republicans wanting to end or cut Medicare and Social Security, that was a total lie. And that was a vicious lie. And it's the kind of lie that really is so nasty. It made Republicans react. You saw them sort of jump up into it and react, which is very uncommon. I mean, it's really uncommon. And so he's he and his his whole campaign the last time was premised on the lie of the fine people hoax in Charlottesville, where he claims Donald Trump called neo-Nazis and white supremacists fine people, which he didn't. And the video shows he didn't. But Joe Biden says it over and over again to people and says, you know, believe in hate, believe in division, believe in anger, believe in arrogance. And the problem is it worked once for Biden because the media, because big tech and because, in some sense, the incumbent, Donald Trump, in office, were, you know, were able to, to make Biden seem fresher and, and more, you know, more uniting and all that stuff. Please remember, by the way, one of my predictions is that we would never have, again, a two-term president 
because it's too hard to stand in those Klieg lights. That brightness of them is too hard to do. And that's what I think is actually, and maybe I should have said two consecutive presidents. Because when you're the guy in the big chair and you're every day, it's your America, Joe Biden's, you're going to pay a price for that as people are frustrated with the direction of things. They're frustrated with the idea of a, a, a third world war, a nuclear Armageddon. And so if Trump can get the nomination, it's a contrast. And so let me reinvigorate, restate my prediction. There will never be a two-term, consecutive two-term president again in American history because the brightness of the lights and the difficulty of the road role and the power of the office that demands that you have so much influence on everything will make it impossible. But Biden's State of the Union, a campaign speech, was filled with lies, filled with anger, filled with arrogance. That's not how you win. I don't think it's how you win, but we'll see. Well, we'll see. That's where we are. All right, that's what you need to know. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and talk with John Schlafly. We'll also visit with uh, John Zadrozny. It's a pair of Johns uh, coming back after the break. I'm Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. That's what you need to know. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it's time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly is one half of the dynamic duo, brother Andy Schlafly and John Schlafly do the weekly Schlafly Report, which is found uh, originally live on townhall.com, our sister site, but also archived over at phyllisschlafly.com. That's where I'm looking at it right now. This week's column is called The Deep State, oh, excuse me, Deep State's Hot Air Shot Down. And uh, there's a great image, by the way, John, of the I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm a photo here. I can't imagine that's actually the uh, thing, but it's a great picture. Anyway, welcome, John Schlafly. How are you? Good, 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 Ed. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Now, that photo, do you know that photo is not uh, that's not the, uh, the the balloon, is it or is it? Well, uh, you know, I didn't produce the photo. Okay, That's okay. Our, okay, cop, right. our photo editor, I guess, found a good photo. It's and a great I'll photo. To... Yeah, you have to check it out. It looks like it's, I, I, it's got to be, I mean, it's too small a boat, but, but if they're pulling something up, maybe. Anyway, all right. So, John, this, we're referring, of course, to the balloon that crossed, that went across America. I have since heard clarification uh, that people that came out and said, oh, during the Trump administration, there were balloons across America. What I think happened was, there are always um, spy balloons of these massive sizes, but they never really come across America. They like they're one that went across a tip of Alaska and the Defense Department said, you know, they're they're shooting. They're doing those balloons. They never went across Montana and Missouri and Illinois and all like they did here. Um, so that was sort of a half lie by the administration. But um What's going on here, John? And well, right. And all the top Trump and his top officials, like Mike Mike Pompeo and even John Bolton, said they never heard a word about that when they were in the White House. And so, you know, and so we, what our point in the column is: the deep state, you know, is their government unto themselves. They're not even reporting to the president what's going on. I'm sure if Trump had the opportunity, he would have. Uh, knocked, blown that thing out of the sky. <laughs> he, I think he would have reveled it. That was his. Uh, that was his quickest statement. Was uh, let's and the balloons. Know, sh- the the balloon. This balloon. This last week's balloon was two hundred feet in diameter. That's unbelievable, and apparently being guided by back in China, but which you know, and would presumably sending 
uh, intelligence signals back to China. So, no, that, that's ridiculous. And this was the biggest story in America until Joe Biden went through his act at the State of the Union and didn't even mention it. Uh, we're talking. Oh, how with, about that? Yeah, well, that's what I was we're talking with John Schlafly. Uh, he didn't mention it at all, and um, more importantly, um, there hasn't really been an explanation, has there? No, there's a host of unanswered questions, and we've. Of course, I don't want to take. This is going to have to draw people's attention away from Hunter Biden and the other things the Republicans are investigating. But this is a big deal. What in the heck is going on here? And. Uh, you know, that one balloon, uh, aside from the risks opposed by that actual that object itself, it's highly symbolic, Ed, of what China is doing in terms, you know, because it's not just one balloon, but it's their 300,000 Chinese students that are in our colleges. That's, you know, it's the TikTok software that's on everybody's cell phone. China is surveilling, tracking and basically controlling, and we've got to uh, put a stop to that. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. Um, John, I-, I was reading a book. I'm, I'm trying to find frantically uh, the name of the um, author who, who came out of the um, he came out of the uh, um, uh, the Senate at some point in terms of his his experience. Um, and he wrote a book. He's now a professor somewhere, but he's talking about Reagan as a peacemaker. And and, and early in the book, he's describing the fact that. Um, detente, which was what Nixon and Kissinger were trying to do with, um, or, or well, the, excuse me, the, the whole movement in the Soviet relationship to the Soviet communists was detente. That if you just get along, uh, eventually the values will percolate through, and the Soviet communism will melt uh, under the, you know, the kindness or whatever. And then there were Reagan and others, including your late mother Phyllis Schlafly, who said, "No, no, no, you can't, you can't negotiate your way through that crisis with Soviet communists." It feels like we're in the same place. I mean, I know we were in the, with China now. The Chinese communist regime, th- there's people that say, well, you know, TikTok may be sort of annoying that they're in our lives with data privacy and uh, brainwashing. And, you know, it, it feels strange that we have 300,000 of their uh, students at our highest level universities and hundreds of thousands of workers in tech and everywhere else. But, you know, uh, ultimately it'll come around. It, it's the same problem, isn't it? Well, the difference Ed, is that China is an economic power that rivals our own economy. Well, that wasn't the case with the Soviet Union. Um, and the China, China's economy continues to grow. And I, my opinion is that uh, the economic challenge is the biggest challenge from China. As long as their economy continues to grow rapidly, as it has been for the last 30-plus years, um, these conflicts will only increase. And so I believe that the survival of the United States has to depend upon, in effect, uh, so blunt, but um, so popping the balloon of the <laughs> Chinese economy and, uh, and letting, the, letting the air come out of the Chinese economy. Because that would then that would force the communist rulers to pay attention to their domestic uh, to the people at home, and they would have to step back from the world stage if that happened. 
Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly and his, his column uh, that runs over at uh, townhall.com and archived at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's column, uh, Deep State's Hot Air, a shot down. Um, John, uh, to to push back on that point, though, um, when you say their economy has to, uh, you, you, we have to realize their economy is their greatest, let's say their greatest strength. Um, wasn't there, I think there was a report this week that there's more nuclear, they have more nuclear uh, weapons or nuclear missiles than, than we knew they had before and that it's uh, historic levels. But um, you don't mean, I don't think, that we outcompete them in the economy. You mean that we decouple from the economy, right? Well, I don't think outcompete, of course, we believe in competition, but I don't think outcompete is an option. Uh, uh, no, we've been competing They've been out competing us for the last 30 years, and there's really no path to outcompete them if the rules of the game stay as they are. The point is that the rules of the game have been rigged in China's favor, and that has got to stop. Uh, China's economy is a state-owned economy. Uh, their, their, uh, their, their biggest enterprises are state-owned enterprises. That's not free enterprise. That's not competition. And we have to have, uh, for our own self-protection, we have to draw a hard line that prevents state-owned enterprises like Huawei, which was the perhaps the, the best-known one, from participating in the international economy. We have to make sure that our own trading partners do not cooperate with Huawei and the other Chinese state-owned enterprises. So it's a big job, but unfortunately, we have a president now who's not interested in doing that. Well, at this point, um, it feels like the president, you know, I've been using the phrase, John, distrust and verify the flipping the Reagan half of the Reagan phrase on its head or flipping on half its head. Uh, But you couldn't design a president who um, was more. the appearance of this president is that he's in the tank for the Chinese regime because the state of the union last night, when, you know, whether the the world wasn't watching, of course, because he's not dynamic enough and not energetic enough, not interesting enough, but the political world was, and China barely was mentioned. Right. And, and, you know, I do think the state of the union address, you know, revealed the real Joe Biden. I mean, that's the guy. The guy we saw last night is who that guy is. And with all of his obnoxious uh, tics and traits, I mean, you know, but uh, that's who is running our country. That's who's in the White House. And uh, you ask yourself, is our country prepared to deal with China? No, we're not with him in charge. Um, John, is it? Um, but did you think, like I did, as you watched that? I don't know if you watched the whole speech or if you saw clips afterwards. And I, I didn't. I didn't myself. I watched some of it. I read the transcript afterwards and then read the coverage. But that that was um, a political speech of a guy running for re-election. Yes, exactly, exactly. It was not the State of the Union in any way, shape, or form. It was a, a rollicking, highly political, highly partisan speech suitable for the Democratic National Convention. That's what we saw. Yeah. And, and, and as from I beginning s- to end. Well, and as I said earlier in the program, um, it was a soft reelection uh, uh, announcement. I mean, he'll wait another few weeks or whatever. And, and I think um, and, and, and to be blunt, you know, Democrats loved it. That's right. I mean, I listened to some Democrats calling in 
they thought they were thrilled. Yeah. They said, yeah, Biden's our guy. Yep, yep. And well. uh, so it looks like he's gearing up to, you know, people thought he couldn't run in 2020, but it looks like he's uh, he's going to be, he's, he's going to run again. All right, John, before we let you go, I know you're a huge NFL football fan. I know you've been really um, gambling and, and betting on lots of the games this whole uh, playoff. So do you have a pick in the Super Bowl? Or maybe I should say better, do you know who's in the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, I was interested in the fact that there are two brothers on opposite sides in the oh. Super Bowl. Oh, you These like that. two young men <laughs> who grew up in the same house as brothers <laughs> And now there's a fight to the death in the Super Bowl. Now that really appealed to me because, you have as you know, Ed, I have a little sibling rivalry myself between myself and my three brothers. So, yeah, well, I, I uh, that's now let me the Kelsey brothers. And interesting, down to the details, John. One is considered the the greatest. Um, well, one of the one of the greatest, but I think the greatest center, you know, the guy that hikes the ball in in history. He's just phenomenal um, at that and a phenomenal athlete. And he goes out and blocks from that position and just considered really the best, which is a kind of, you know, grinded out position. And the, the other brother is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest tight end, which is a, a little bit more of a still athletic, but a skill position. You got to catch the ball as well as run. Uh, but they'll they won't face off on each other on the field because they're both on offense. But but they'll certainly be, as you point out, uh, a, a grudge match to the end. Although both have won the Super Bowl, um, so their winners already won one um, uh, five or six years ago, and then um, the Kansas City Kelsey, the name is Kelsey, won it just a couple years ago. So, all right, we'll watch the the sibling rivalry, John. Only you can take us out of football into sibling rivalry, and um, of course, it is also two first time two African American quarterbacks are facing off in the Super Bowl. So um, that's also, I guess, noteworthy. At least that's what they tell me on all these uh, sites. All right, John. Well, place your bets on either of the brothers you prefer, and we will talk again next week. Thank you, John. Okay, Ed. All right, yep. we will take we will take a break. Uh, that was a little tongue in cheek about the football, but I will say there's a great video of John Schlafly as a young boy playing. I think on the harmonica, uh, not the harmonica, on the. Um, on the uh, uh, piano? Is it the piano? The Notre Dame fight song. I can't remember. I can sort of picture it, but um, the family uh, getting ready for uh, a Notre Dame football game. So, all right, that's enough of that. I'll post all that up on social media, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with John Zadrozny. Uh, John is uh, uh, one of the guys that I uh, trust uh, to tell me what's going on on the slightly deeper level. He's the Deputy Director of Investigations over at America First Legal. America First Legal is aflegal.org, aflegal.org. Uh, uh, hey, John, welcome back. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to be with you. Well, and so I, I was flagging this issue to talk about because I know you've done some research, your investigation on this, on money flowing to Central America on the immigration question. Before we get to that, and I won't say that I watched every moment of the State of the Union, but I, I watched enough and saw enough coverage. The, the president barely mentioned the issue of the of the Poros open border. Uh, obviously, he can't say much because it's bad news. But what was your what's your reaction? Uh, the, the, the state of Joe Biden's crime family union is demented. And it was pretty clear that he basically was willing to talk about everything 
but what's actually a concern in the country. I mean, the, you know, if you have ever seen the Lego movie, his theme of the speech last night was everything is awesome, uh, but ignoring real realities. And he ignored more than he talked about, quite frankly. So um, I took it for what it was worth. I couldn't even watch it, Ed, honestly. I, I, everything I know about it, I got from coverage this morning. Um, but uh, it sounds like he just made a lot of stuff up. He talked about the wonderful economy that isn't. And he ignored the panda in the room. I don't know how you can have a president like this. In fact, Joe Biden is actually probably the number one reason we should stop having live State of the Union speeches right now. <laughs> That's true. I've been telling people that uh, the, the State of the Union used to be, uh, you know, they sent a report up. They wrote, Somebody wrote up a report and sent it up to Capitol Hill from the White House, you know, 120 years ago. And now it becomes this uh, made for TV or made for Internet or whatever. You know, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Bono's there with the glasses. And uh, anyway, all right. But, but back to John, uh, to the more substantive question here. Um, we've seen some coverage. My friend Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies has been writing from the border. Talk to me, though, about what you're seeing in terms of the cash uh, for the illegal uh, immigrants. And, and part of the deal is, you know, you're basically laundering money. It ends up with the smugglers. But so walk us through what you're seeing in terms of dollars. Well, it, it, there's two types of dollars that are involved in this. One is the, the private dollars, the non-governmental dollars that are basically flowing from the people who are paying the cartels to get them to the United States. Uh, and, you know, these are people not with a lot of money. Uh, they're still willing to pay four, five, six thousand dollars equivalent local cash to the cartels to ship themselves or a child or someone in their family to the United States. Um, and even w- what's amazing, too, is that isn't even enough. Sometimes that's how the cartels make money on the back end, where they'll take a payment from someone. They'll, they'll put them in their process to get up to the border and they'll get them 50 miles to the U.S.-Mexico border and say, hey, so it turns out you owe us more money. But the good news is you can make it up to us. You can carry some fentanyl somewhere. Or you can go work for us in a city when you get there. And uh, once that happens, you can pay off your debt in 10 years or whatever. And so uh, there's a – all of that is completely wrong, obviously. But it's amazing to me for all the, the lefties who, like, rendered their clothing about slavery in the world. Um, basically, they're in favor of the indentured servitude at the hand of the cartels. But there's another darker hand in terms of money here, which is our own government. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many people know. Yeah, that's what you were asking about. Um, the American government is slathering money over the cartels to help their business model thrive. I mean, in some ways, you could make the argument. Joe Biden was talking about how wonderful his economy was. The only industry that really seems to have done well under Joe Biden is the cartels um, and their human trafficking and smuggling operations. And the United States government is essentially aiding and abetting in a criminal fashion these smuggling and trafficking operations by making it easy to disperse people around the country. Um, they're using this money to transport people. They're using this money to basically get them settled in their new places. They're even using it through the uh, Department of Home. I'm sorry, the Department of Health and Human Services is an office called the Office of Refugee Resettlement, or ORR. And ORR is basically used to sort of, um, I guess you could say, uh, launder uh, MS-13 and other gang members into the country by basically they masquerade as children at the border. They say the magic words. They get put in these facilities. Um, some of them are minor MS-13 members, but some of them are adults too. And they spend a couple of years recruiting and they get three hots in a cot and then they get out and they go report to their hub manager and they cause havoc in the United States. So uh, the United States government is basically a criminal co-conspirator in the cartels, hemisphere wide smuggling and trafficking operations. Full stop. There's no other way to describe it. Is the uh, we're talking with John Zadrozny again, and if you go over to uh, America First Legal, aflegal.org, you'll see uh, what they're doing. He's a deputy director of investigations there. Is the um, what you know when you have 
over. So everybody wishes we could change a lot of things, but we have one house of the U.S. Congress, one chamber, the U.S. House that at least seems to be more conservative. Okay. So there we are. Um, what could the oversight really show? And, and John, let me say it differently. Is there really an appetite to show? Let, let, let's pretend that the oversight of the, say, spending, and you could say to uh, Guatemala, tell us where the money went, and you could actually see that the money is going to basically come back towards us. Is that, A, could we find that out, and B, or is it just disappear into, you know, like the Ukrainian $100 billion where whatever you think of that aid, I have my opinion, I've made it clear, but people can't say where it went. So is it like that, that it goes in and you don't know where it is? And then the second thing, though, is do we have anybody who's really has the appetite? I, I don't want to be too cynical, but I'm getting there. We have guys and gals that want to run towards the soundbite, and maybe this isn't a good enough soundbite in the, in the U.S. House. Well, I'll tackle the latter first. I think it's a good question. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt so far. It's only February 8th, uh, and I think that some of the members are trying to just get their feet on the ground in terms of oversight. And honestly, the the biggest problem I've seen is not a willingness. We've met with a bunch of offices. They all seem really solid. Uh, Many know what they're talking about. I saw the immigration hearing yesterday on the House Oversight Committee. The, 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 you know, the spirit is there. I think they're just asking imprecise questions and they're trusting a little too much to get honest answers from the liars in the administration. I mean, uh, Gloria Chavez lied her badge off yesterday at that hearing. And uh, I think some follow up questions need to follow her right. under penalty of perjury. Uh, but so I think they're trying. I think they'll get there. Uh, you know, we and others are working with them to make sure they're asking the right questions. And I think at some point you're going to get the answers you want. In terms of the money question, I will say this. It would be great if we could have a southern hemisphere in the Americas, basically Central and South America, that were 21st century, first world economic partners. And I think there are ways to get there, Ed. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think we've got, in some ways, here's a good example. We've got a problem right now where we've got supply chains uh, stuck in a communist Chinese government, uh, a country that literally flew a spy balloon, balloon over the country and gave the country the middle finger over the last week. Uh, there's no reason we should have our, our crucial supply chains stuck in China. Meanwhile, we've got very poor countries, including the Northern Triangle countries. I've got an idea. Why don't we shift our supply chains to the Northern Triangle countries in South America? Like, why don't we have these countries have actual industry and growth? Uh, That said, the federal government writing a check, slathering aid on these countries is not the way to go. It's exactly like you said. It's basically going to be Ukraine with bananas. uh, And uh, the reality is that's not good. It doesn't do any good to send money to these countries because foreign aid doesn't really do any good. I mean, this is something nobody wants to say out loud. The reality is this money gets absorbed by governments and elite actors down there. It never gets to the people who need it. And even if it did, it doesn't build an economy. You know, providing aid to someone in like a bulk spending spree doesn't make an economy good. It doesn't build a civil society. Right. Th- those are things that people have to do on their own. And they have to get there through hard-fought gains. You can't just write an appropriations check and send them a bill and send them a check and say, hey, look, you're, you're prosperous now. That's not how it works. Um, I think, though, if they were actually sincere about this, they would try and shift some supply chains and start trying to help these countries become first world economic partners instead of just third world economic handouts. Well, and the, and the and the thing is, we're, again, we're talking with John Zadrozny, is um, the kind of aid, when you have this kind of aid, it inevitably leads to uh, corruption. I'm not just saying people want to cut. The corruption I mean is that the, the grantor 
demands of the grantee, the grantee demands of the grantor. I'm getting it wrong. The people who give the money demand of the people who get the money that they act certain ways. And if you think that doesn't happen, you just have no idea of human psychology. And so you say to yourself, well, the Biden administration came in and they're like, hey, here's money flowing. The one thing you can see if you're the Guatemalan government looking up is that 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 government does not want to stop the flow. So let the flow. You don't have to have a memo. The memo doesn't have to go down and say, hey, guys, be this way. It just has to go. You know, you have to look up and say, um, I want to make the uh, vice president or the, the, the ambassador happy when they come. John, back to my other question as somebody who observes closely and has seen inside from the inside the bureaucracies and the the uh, you know when you're when you're investigating as you do in America First Legal, you're doing it by FOIA requests. You're doing it by, you know, but can we actually know? I mean, this is one of the mystery, the problems, right, is once the money that hits Guatemala, they can send us back a spreadsheet and say how it was spent. We don't really know, right? There's no real way to track it. And it's not $20. It's enough money that it's not really going to be trackable. I mean, you're 100% right, Ed. That's the problem with money like this. When you spend hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in aid on countries, uh, it all gets washed. Like it's, it's, you could, on paper, it'll say like this went to this nonprofit and this went to this nonprofit and this built a water uh, purification plant. But the reality is a lot of money gets lost in those equations. And uh, what I find interesting too is I can't prove this, Ed, but I'd be willing to bet that every time you see something like this, you've seen it with Ukraine, we're going to see it here. Um, some of that money is getting kicked back to the people who wrote the check. Uh, I have no doubt that administration officials are getting wealthy up this somehow. And that's what's inappropriate about this. Also, what's also, I flagged this for, for consideration for the audience. A lot of people will say, no, 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 this money is important. We're building civil society in these countries. Let me tell you something. You cannot graft a civil society onto a country that hasn't developed it on its own. You can't have a nonprofit organization pretend to build a civil society because guess what? When you don't instill Western values in people and they don't have, they don't keep those values in their heart and they don't use it to build their own country on their own. When you leave and the money leaves, that all goes away. And that's why foreign assistance rarely works because we think if we just slather money on a country, we can solve a lot of its problems. And the problem is we can never solve a problem if the people who own that country can't solve it or won't solve it. So the money's all going to get wasted. By the way, a lot of the nonprofits that are going to benefit from this to help supposedly help those countries. They're all based in the D.C. metro area, Ed. They're not native countries. They, I'm sorry. They're not native organizations. They're not based in Guatemala or Nicaragua or El Salvador or so on. They are in Bethesda, and Silver Spring, and they're making a ton of money off of uh, the goodwill of the American people well, and, and the deception of this administration. Yeah, and that that was where I was going to say to you, uh, John, uh, we're talking again, John Zadrozny, America First Legal. He's the deputy director of investigations. Uh, go to aflegal.org. Uh, I was going to say, the corruption is sometimes is slightly nuanced in the sense that you're given lots of money to a, a nonprofit that employs lots of of left leaning Democrats to do their work. Right. I mean, and so it, it may not in this case, it may not be the Biden crime family or Hillary Clinton's foundation, you know, laundering money could be. But a lot of times it's just as simple as, you know, uh, do you really think that, you know, X immigration group is hiring, you know, many John Zadrozny's and many people that are going to say, you know what, let's not waste money. Let's be more shrewd with our, our, our uh, aid. Of course not. Right. So that's another part of this. That's, that's by the way, one of the things, if there's been a proliferation of lobbyists in Washington, D.C., in the swamp, which there has, I heard a number from like 2003 till today, it's like 
250 times. That That's worthy of a, a look. But the other thing worthy of a look, and this is from a guy who works in this field, is how many of these nonprofits have proliferated that are doing things like immigration and things like Planned Parenthood related that aren't even Planned Parenthood. That's another investigation for another day. John, I'm running out of, I'm out of time. I'm sorry. John's a Drosny. I apologize for filibustering at the end. America first legal, uh, aflegal.org. Uh, thanks again, John. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Ed. Great to be with you. Take care. Okay, we'll uh, we'll put all that up on social media, everybody, and make sure that we uh, get the details out there and check out uh, uh, John's work over at America First Legal. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The New York Times published a provocative news story called The New Math on Campus. No, it's not about the failure of Common Core to teach arithmetic. It's about the dramatic ratio of males to females on most college campuses today. Long ago when I went to college, campuses were about 70% male. But today the ratio is very different. The American Council on Education reports that women have been an average of 57% of enrollments since the year 2000, and now is 60% female to 40% male at many universities. This has dramatically changed social relationships and interaction among the students. Neither the guys nor the girls like this change, but nobody knows what to do about it. And few are even willing to discuss what caused this dramatic change, except to point out that women have higher grades coming out of high school. One female student described the new relationship between the sexes like this. Out of that 40% male population, there are maybe 20% we would consider dating. And out of those 20%, 10 have girlfriends, so all the girls are fighting over the other 10%. Anybody who understands human nature realizes that this situation changes behavior. Girls do not want to get left out in the cold, so they are competing for men on men's terms. This results in more casual hookups that are dead-end affairs with no future and no real romantic relationship. A psychology professor put this bluntly. When men have the social power, they create a man's ideal of relationships. More partners, more sex, no commitment. These new male-female percentages probably play significant roles in the sex scandals on campus reported recently. Tomorrow we'll talk about some solutions that some have suggested to remedy this social problem. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me remind you, in the next week or so, 
I will get either get John Cribb back on the phone, the author of Old Abe, one of my favorite books, and now secondarily, The Rail Splitter, also a really good book. Both of those are spectacular on Abe Lincoln. They are historical fiction by John Cribb uh, from New Rep- uh, from Republic Book Publishers. Fantastic. You should, as you get ready for President's Day, and people are talking about that right around now, it's time to get these two books. They're really fun. I've got both of them out. I'm going to get them to my kids. I'm going to try to see if I can suck somebody else into reading them uh, in my family. But they really are excellent. So I encourage you on that front. Um, as always, uh, we'll get some interviews with John. I might replay the one that he did recently. It's very good. So John Cribb, uh, worth uh, checking out. Okay. Um, a lot, I got to wrap things up. Thank you as always to Noah Dingley, our great producer, as well as, uh, our, my Ryan Height, our uh, great, uh, leader, also associate producer for everything that he does to keep us on. There's a lot of pieces to this. I'm, as you may know, I'm on the East Coast, uh, in near, in Virginia and often in the swamp. Ryan is in St. Louis and, uh, Noah Dingley is in San Diego, the answer San Diego. So, uh, don't forget, I'll be filling in for, uh, Andrew K next week on the answer. Uh, San Diego, and that'll be fun. So that'll be Monday. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you again for listening, and be right, be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.